Okay. Everyone enjoys a good laugh, right? We all have those moments where we know you just, it's something, it can be the smallest thing. And next thing you know, you are hysterical. At least this happens to me, that when something gets you laughing, it's just the best thing. You can't stop. Hopefully it's at a good convenient time when no one thinks you're laughing at them. Everyone knows you're laughing with them or at totally something separate. But there are just those times that we all have to laugh. I always say that anyone who commutes next to me on a long commute, sometimes I'll just be listening to something and I'll be cracking up. And I'm like, in this world of Bluetooths and everything, at least no one thinks I'm crazy. But if they were to just look in the car window, I definitely look a little funny. However, we are not the first to appreciate a good laugh. Way back in 1960 was the beginning of research into laughter therapy. Dr. William Fry, a psychiatrist at Stanford University in California, began to examine the physiological effects of laughter and is considered the father of gelatology, which is the science of laughter. Dr. Fry proved that a good laugh provides um, actual physical benefits, that those that spend a significant amount of time laughing have lower instances of respiratory infections, and they have better overall health. And this has developed into an entire world of laughter therapy. I apologize, my source sheet, we're having some printer issues. So my source sheet is on the computer. So if I don't look like I'm looking directly at you, I'm trying to do my sources and look at you at the same time. Dr. Lee Burke from Loma Linda University Medical Center was inspired by Dr. Fry. And he actually did studies on what the effects of laughter are on our respiratory and overall health. He tested heart attack patients and divided them into two groups. One of them they treated in only the typical ways, standard medical care, while the other half, their care regimen included watching half an hour of humorous videos every single day. After one year, the humor group had fewer arrhythmias, lower blood pressure, and lower levels of stress hormones, and required lower doses of medication. The non-humor group had two and a half times more recurrent heart attacks than the humor group. Laughing produces endorphins, the positive happiness hormone in our body, and overall helps us to be more healthy, more happy people. But Dr. Fry was also not the first to appreciate a good laugh. In this week's Parsha, in Parsha Vayera, laughter plays a central role. If we look in the first source, again, the sources are in the chat. If we look at the first source, in Bereshus Parak Yudzayin, Vayomer Elokim El Avram, Sarai Ishtecha Lutekra At Shema Sarai, Ki Sarah Shema. Hashem has taken Avraham outside. He is speaking to Avram alone, and he says, I am going to add a, I am going to switch a letter in your wife Sarai's name. She is no longer going to be Sarai. She is now going to be Sarah. Ubi Rachtiotan, I'm along with this name change, one of the four ways that the Gemara tells us that we can switch our luck, which is still used today. If Chas someone is sick, we switch their name. 
So Hashem says, along with this name change is going to come, I'm going to bless her. I will also give through her to you a child. Because at this point, Avraham already has one child, but that is Yishmael who has come through Hagar. So Sarai, who may think that she had lost her chance once Avraham had offspring from someone else, Hashem says, no, I'm going to bless her as well. There are going to be numerous nations, kings of nations that are going to come from her. And Avraham fell on his face, and he laughed. Is it really possible, Hashem? I am a man of 100 years old and my wife is a young 90. Is it really possible that we are going to have a child? Rashi comments here and says, he says the laughter of Avram and the laughter of Sarai was different. Uncleus translates the laughter of Avram here with a language of simcha, of happiness. However, when he arrives at the laughter that we will see in a moment of Sarai, he translates it as chadi almost a sneering type of action. So we are going to see that laughter is going to come come up multiple times between Avram and Sarah in the next number of Prakim. And Rashi is giving us insight here that there is a nuance to laughter, that there is different types of laughter. So when Avraham first laughs here, this is an expression of joy, that this is an overflowing of simcha, and therefore Avraham laughs. The Ramban, on the other hand, explains slightly differently. First, the Ramban quotes the language of Rashi, and he says, Ve'itzchak tergim unkelis, when it came to Sarah, it was almost a poking fun. It was a sneering. And with Avraham, it was just purely an expression of joy. The Ramban says, however, I have a slightly different interpretation. It's not that one laughed in one way and one laughed in the other way. Rather, the Ramban explains here that the laughter we are speaking about in the following prakim is all a laughter that expresses a language of disbelief. It is rooted in joy, in that one, when one experiences a deep joy and happiness, that expresses itself through laughter. But there is also this element that twinges laughter that is one of disbelief. One that something is ironic, something is out of the ordinary. Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld, who is a therapist in St. Louis, Missouri, he also has a very popular YouTube channel in which he focuses on works of Hasidus 
and specifically focuses on the works of Rav Itchermeyer or Rav Yitzchak Meyer Morgenstern, who is a Kabbalist and a Talmud of Hasidus in Yerushalayim. So Rabbi Rosenfeld often combines his understanding of psychology with his understanding of Torah and Hasidus. And Rabbi Rosenfeld tells over a drasha that was given by Rav Morgenstern on his Shabbos table at par, uh, for Parshas Toldos. And in this drasha that he gives, he explains that there are three roots of laughter. The first root of laughter is physiological. When one is overwhelmed with emotion in any sort of way, it has to be expressed somehow. So when it's sadness, there's crying. When it's possibly anger, there can be yelling or screaming. Some external show of the overwhelmed feeling that the individual is feeling. And laughter is no different. When one is feeling overwhelmed by joy and happiness, one will express that through laughter. So just as crying is to sadness or extreme happiness, physiologically, laughter is the external expression of joy and happiness. The second possible root of laughter that Rabbi Rosenfeld tells over is one of superiority, one of looking down on another. That when one sees themselves in a place of superiority to somebody else, they can laugh or sneer or look down on that other person. The third is an expression of incongruity. That laughter occurs when a situation seems to be going one way and it takes a turn and goes another way. In many of the typical knock-knock style or more straight-out jokes, this is often the type of laughter. When someone hears a funny knock-knock joke, they are not expressing an overwhelm of joy and happiness. Rather, the jokes seem to be going one way, we seem to be talking about one, way, one thing, and then we throw in something that's slightly different, and with that comes laughter. However, as we are going to go on and see that two of these explanations affect and are present in our prakim. Nowhere are we going to say that either Avraham or Sarah was laughing from a place of superiority, of looking down on anyone else. This was most definitely not their reason for laughing. But both the physiological understanding that this was an overwhelming feeling of joy and happiness and the incongruity explanation that there seems to have been this reversal, this vinaha folhu of everything switching from what it seemed to be what, to what it is presently is definitely something that we are going to see represented in the sources. So if we continue on, we see the next episode of laughter that comes in the following parak. In Barisha's parak Yilchet, we have the interaction between Avram, Sarah, and the Malachim, the three Anashim, the three men, who come to visit Avram and Sarah, to, each with a different purpose. One comes to visit Avram after his bris milah, to, do, to be mivaker cholim, the second comes to tell Avram and Sarah of the birth of their, the upcoming birth of their child. And the third comes to inform Avraham of what is going to happen in Sdom. So the Vayomru Elav, Ayei Sarah Ishtecha, Vayomer Hineva Ohel. They 
they approach Avram, and Avram has been running around preparing the food, getting everything that these people can need. They have just come from a long journey, and Avram is the expert of Hachnas' Orchem, and therefore cannot pass up this opportunity, even though he is on his third day of recovery, the most painful after the Bris Milah. Avram is here to serve his guests. So he has been running around preparing food and getting everything for these people. And then they ask and they say, Where is Sarah, your wife? Sarah is in the tent. Go back to her. They say, go back to your wife and there will be a child to your son, to your wife, Sarah. Sarah was listening curiously from the opening to her tent to see what these mysterious visitors would have to say. And she hears this, And Avram and Sarah were old. And it had been many years since Sarah had menstruated, that she was not in the typical way of women. And Sarah laughs internally. I no longer have this pleasure. There are many explanations of Edna. I am no longer youthful. And my, my husband is old. Hashem says, Avram, why did your wife laugh? That she is saying, is it possible that I will still give birth when I am old? And from here we learn an important Shalom bias lesson that is brought down, in which we say that Sarah said that her husband is old. And when Hashem retells it to Avram, she says that Sarah said that she herself is old. That Avram, in, that Hashem, for the sake of Shalom bias, was willing to change the truth slightly. That he didn't need to tell Avraham that Sarah was nervous about Avraham being old. He said Sarah was nervous that she herself is old. Is it possible that Hashem cannot do something? At this point, go back to your wife. And Sarah will have a child. Sarah is confronted by Hashem, and she says, Lo tzachakti ki I only laughed because I was afraid. Vayomer lo ki tzachakta. And Hashem says, no, you laughed. You did laugh. You can't deny that you did not laugh. So Sarah is hinting that her laughter may have stemmed from reason number one, that she may have been feeling a sense of overwhelm, not in the sense that we spoke about it, that she was overwhelmed by joy and happiness. Rather, I can speak for myself again. I have definitely been in situations where laughing was probably not the best reaction, but out of a sense of discomfort or feeling that you're just too overwhelmed by emotions and you are unable to sort out those emotions in the moment, you laugh because it is an external manifestation of internal emotions. So Sarah is trying to say that she didn't mean to laugh. She didn't mean to doubt Hashem. Rather, she had all these emotions and she was unable to contain them. And therefore, she laughed. But Hashem, in his response, seems to express, similarly to what Rashi had explained earlier, that 
Sarai was expressing some sort of disbelief. That is why Hashem says, Hashem davar. Is it possible that you, Sarah, believe that there is something that I cannot do? So the Malbim as well comments as well that it was not a negative comment like Rashi implied, but rather it was a statement of disbelief. So the Malbim asks, Why did Sarah laugh and not believe the words of the angel? So the Malbim asks a number of questions. Why would Sarah say that she didn't laugh? Why did Sarah laugh? Why didn't she believe? And why did she say that my husband is old? And why did Hashem repeat that I am old? So that's it. the question we are going to answer is the Vatitzchak Sarah. Why did she laugh? Why did she have this disbelief? Sarah had already overheard back when Hashem had only been speaking to Avraham. He had changed her name to Sarah, and of course she believed the words of Hashem at that point that she would deliver a child. However, Sarah was also realistic that obviously she believed in Hashem. But she no longer menstruated. And she knew that a woman who no longer menstruates cannot become pregnant because the food of the baby is the blood. Very interesting. This is one of these allusions to science in the way that it was understood in the times of the Mepharshim, that they believed that the food, that the baby was nurtured by blood, which is true, which was a very advanced understanding and the understanding of the umbilical cord and the placenta and how the baby attaches. But what's interesting is that also led to the belief that a woman could not menstruate when they had when they were nursing, because they believed that the blood was what turned into the milk at birth. So there was this interesting understanding that there could not be blood and milk simultaneously because one turned into another. And that has various halachic ramifications. So just an interesting side note. But Sarah understood that the way of Teva, the way of nature, was that a woman who no longer menstruated could not become pregnant. She understood that in order for this to occur, there needed to be a great miracle. Someone who requires such a great niece, such a great miracle, this will have to take from their pool of zechuyo, from their merits. Because someone who Hashem has to switch on their behalf, the typical order of creation, has to check into their actions. They have to also be willing to understand that if Hashem is going to do such a great miracle for them, they are going to have a very completed, depleted level of zechuyo and schar. And therefore, they really have to investigate into their actions. She 
There is an illusion here where it says, Shahari bilti haitali edna, the chazarti olami. She is saying that perhaps there is going to be another miracle here in which there will be a different sort of reversal in the nature. And that is why she is discussing her husband because she says, maybe it's possible that I'm saying, I am pushing this to Avraham and I'm saying my husband is old. Maybe if we return to the point where my husband, there's something that will occur with my husband. Maybe it will be that something will happen on my husband's side of the equation, that when we translate Edna as pleasure, there will be some, some sort of change in Avraham's nature, even though he is in old age. And Avraham, she says, if Hashem, you recognize that Avraham is also very old and you switch something on his end, she says, Avraham is a greater tzaddik. He has an abundance of zechuyot. If the miracle happens on his behalf, then I can rest assured that this miracle will actually happen because perhaps on my behalf, it would not have been enough. But if I push this off on my husband, then perhaps we will have the miracle and I will also remain with my Zichuyo because I need them more than Avram. He is a greater tzaddik than me. He has an abundance. So next up, when we finally see that the baby is born, we see in Barisha's Chaf Aleph, Hashem followed through on his promise to Sarah and he remembered Sarah. The, she bore a child within the time frame that Hashem had told him. Hashem had told them to name this baby Yitzchak, and they did so when he was born. Avraham was a hundred years old when he gave birth to, when Sarah gave birth to this child. Hashem has given me such great joy and pleasure, and everyone who hears Yitzchakli will be happy for me, will be joyful along with me. Everyone will be amazed, everyone will be so happy for them, that in such an old age, they were able to give birth to a child. Rashi explains here, what is Yitzchakli? Yismachilai, Sarah believed that anyone who heard their story was going to be so happy for them. Along with this came a celebration on that day. That along with the happiness of Avram and Sarah having a child, many other smachot came along on that day. That many other akarot were remembered on that day, that many other women who were childless until that point became pregnant on that day. Many sick people were cured on that day. Many people's tefillot were answered along with Sarah. It was a day of joy and happiness. And here we see that tzchok in this Pasuk, Yitzchak Li, is a language of complete joy and happiness.
The Radak comments here and says, she said that she really called the boy Yitzchak in order to give expression to the joy that God had granted her. She was convinced that everyone hearing about her good fortune had given birth, that she had given birth in old age, would share her joy in this. Any person being surprised by some unexpected happy event laughs for joy. So this idea of laughter that we bring down from Avram and Sarah seems to transform and take different shapes throughout the story that come that finally culminates at the birth of Yitzchak. Then in their beginning, there is this definite leaning towards disbelief, that it is one of complete shock and amazement at the reversal of an action. That it, of the reversal of nature, of the reversal of the circumstances. That what seemed to be possible was changed, but rather than reason one being that laughter is physiological and reason three being that laughter comes at it as an expression of amazement and um, awe at the reversal of something, is that one really leads to another. And that is what the Radak is pointing to. That the Radak is saying one does not just laugh simply out of joy. That this is not just lightheadedness and happiness. Rather, when does true joy come? It's when one is able to see in a situation something that they thought was impossible, something that seemed unreasonable or unrealistic, and that situation switches for the best. At that point, there is an expression of complete joy and happiness at the reversal of a situation from possible sadness to joy. So this is the idea that we get from Avram and Sarah, that there was so much joy in the face of a situation that did not seem like one that would turn out this way, that it is expressed through laughter. And Rav Hirsch expands on this and begins to apply it to us today. Rav Hirsch quotes and says, in any case, schok is triggered only by noticing something ridiculous or absurd. And there can be no greater absurdity than the expectation now held by Avraham. Avraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. In the course of their long married life, Avraham had no children by Sarah. Now practically at the end of their lives, they were to have a son. The birth of this child would be totally unexpected. And even if he were to be born, he would be an only child and in all likelihood would be orphaned at an early age. Yet the prospects of a great nation destined to prevail over the entire world, the hopes of all mankind able to rest on this late-born orphaned youth, if we consider only the natural course of things, this expectation seems totally absurd, like mountains hanging by hair. Indeed, it was a great absurdity, and even Avraham, who by throwing himself down on his face had already expressed his confidence, could not help but laugh. Great significance is attached to this laughter. It is repeated below in connection with Sarah and will be evoked for all time by the name of the promised child. The beginning of the Jewish people was absurd. To the rational mind, which calculates only on the basis of cause and effect, this people's history, expectations, hopes, and life appear as a monstrous, ludicrous pretension. Jewish history begins to make sense indeed, deserves to be studied with utmost seriousness, only if one evaluates on the basis of higher causality of the cause of all causes. If one believes in the free, omnipotent will of the free God who acts freely and intervenes powerfully in the affairs of God's world.
Rav Hirsch is expanding this to so much more than what we have thought of laughter before. What we are seeing is two older individuals who are being told that they are going to birth a child. And out of happiness, but also out of disbelief, they laugh. They cannot believe both literally and on a more um, on a more metaphorical level, they cannot believe that this is going to happen to them. Whether there's, there is a twinge of actual disbelief in Sarai's laughter, both of them in the end, by the time this child is born, have switched to this laugh that is based on unbelievable joy, but a joy that comes only through the absurdity of what has happened. It is a laugh at the absurdity and the irony of their situation. And Rav Hirsch says that it is fitting that it is with this laughter that the Jewish nation truly begins. Avram and Sarah have been married for so many years. For 100 years, Avram has been childless from Sarah. For someone to come along when he is 99 years old and his wife is 89 years old, and say, you are going to birth, to birth a child this year. And that child is going to be the father of the future of Jewish history is absurd. And even so, who is the child going to become? He has parents that are 190 years old. What is going to become of this child? So what we learn from Hashem telling Avram and Sarah to name this child Yitzchak is to remind us that Judaism, the roots of our nation, are planted in this absurdity. That we should have never existed, this entire nation should have never come about. It seemed as if there was no way in nature that this was going to happen. But that's Jewish history. The Jewish history is seated in this absurdity and only grows from there. How many instances have there been throughout our history that make no sense that we have survived. That it seems to be impossible that we are still here today. It's ludicrous, it's impossible, it's absurd. But we laugh. Because we see how despite the rational understanding of what is happening in the world, our rational and logical understanding of the world and the way that it should be, we are here. We have survived, we have blossomed from Yitzchak, and we have developed into a beautiful Jewish nation. So this is both the nuanced idea of laughter that we have created. The laughter is both physiological. When there is so much joy, you need to express it in some way. But laughter is also a statement of the absurdity of the situation. When something has changed drastically in the situation, and you cannot help but laugh, at the dual nature of what you are seeing in front of you. That when something seems impossible and turns out for the best, you are overwhelmed by this joy, you are overwhelmed by the change that has occurred, and for that, you laugh. The Gemara in Erevin discusses how one should judge another person. I had a teacher in seventh grade who was teaching us Torah Shabbal Peh, and he told us in one of his small tidbits on life, he said, girls, I just want you to know, do not marry a boy until you see him play basketball. And we're all like, come on, Rebbe, like, what's the big deal? Like, aren't there more important things than how, how good his three-point shot is? 
But our rabbi explained that when a mensch is on the basketball field, on the basketball, basketball field, I sound like such an ignorant, someone who's so ignorant to sports. I promise I know it's not a field, it's a court. When you see someone on the basketball court, a mensch is a mensch no matter where he is. So if this boy is a mensch off the court and he's sitting and he's learning and he's nice to everyone and then he gets into a situation that is a simulated high pressure situation like a basketball game and he begins to speak in an improper way, he begins to yell and scream and just act improperly improperly towards other people, that is not someone that you want to associate with. He said, if a mensch is a mensch, he will be a mensch on the basketball court as well. And the Gemara in Erevin is giving us similar advice. The Gemara in Erevin is saying, Amar Abiyelai, B'shlosh Advarim Adam Nikar, B'koso, B'kiso, U'b'kaso. A person can be understood in three ways, through his cup, through how he behaves when he has had something to drink, bikiso in how he relates to his money, ubikaso, and how he reacts when he is angry. The imri lay af bishako. And the Gemara adds one more opinion, it doesn't rhyme as nicely, the af bishako. A person's nature in their laughter. And the way that I understood this Gemara is what does laughter have to do with the rest of the understanding of this Gemara? When you look at a person, you not only want to see how they act with their material possessions, how they act when they, when they have had something to drink, when they act when they are angry, but you also want to see how a person is able to open themselves up to the possibilities that this world contains. That what is laughter? Laughter shows a, in, when it's done in a proper way, like Avram and Sarah, laughter is the expression of an individual who is able to see that they do not have complete understanding of everything in the world. That they are able to look at a world that appears to be one way and understand that there is more in the world than what meets the eye. So when one is judging another person, one wants to see How do they view themselves in relation to the world? Do they believe they know everything? That only what they can see and understand is what is possible in the world? Or are they someone who is open to the possibilities and has the emuna and bitachon in Hashem to recognize that there is a plan greater than what they can see? And can they express that through laughter? Are they able to have joy when something turns out differently from how they expected? Or are they dragged down by the fact that things did not turn out the way they thought they would be? A role model that we have much later on in Jewish history of this example is Rabbi Akiva. There is the story of Rabbi Akiva walking with some of the other Rabbanim after the destruction of the temple. And it says, All of the other rabbis that were with Rabbi Akiva tore their clothes when they arrived at Haratufim. Why did they cry? Because they had been walking through the ruins of the temple and they saw a shu'al, a fox, leave from the Kodesh Kedashim. They began to cry, laughed. They said to him, why are you laughing? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? 
The other rabbis said to Rabbi Akiva, they said, it says in Sefer Bamidbar that Hazar HaKarev Yumat, that any stranger who comes into the Kodesh Kedashim will die. And we have sunk so low that not only are strange human beings, but foxes are coming out of the Kodesh Kedashim. How could we not cry? Amar lahen He says, it is exactly for this reason that I am crying. Diftiv in Yeshayahu, as it says in Sefer Yeshayahu. It says in Sefer Yeshaya that I am bringing two witnesses. I am bringing Uriah and I am bringing Zechariah. What is the connection between Zechariah and Uriah? Uriah b'mikdash rishon v'zachariah b'mikdash shini. They lived in different time periods. Ella. Tla ha-katov nevuato shal zachariah b'nevuato shal Uriah. The Hashem, Hashem, Hashem made it. Zachariah is reliant on the nevuah of Uriah. Be'uriah k'tiv in Uriah, it says in Sefer Micha, l'achin b'glachem tzion sadet hechrash. In Sefer Uriah, it says that Sion, Yerushalayim, will be turned into a desolate field. Um, and in Zechariah it says, Od Yeshuvu Zekinimus Kinot Berchovos Yerushalayim, Ad Shalonit Kaiman Vuato Shal Uriah, Hayiti Mityare Shalotit Kayim Vuato Shal Zechariah. Until I saw that the Nevua of Uriah came true, I did not believe that the Nevua of Zechariah would come true as well. Achshav Shenit Kaiman Vuato Shal Uriah, Biadua Shenivuato Shal Zechariah Mitkayamet. Blashon Hazeh. Amrulo Akiva Nechamtanu, Akiva Nechamtanu. Rabbi Akiva says, only because I have seen the complete destruction, I have seen Yerushalayim lowered to the lowest levels. Only because I have seen the fulfillment of Uriah's Nevuah, am I able to believe that the beautiful Nevuah of Zechariah of Od Yeshuvus Kenimus Kenot Rechovos Yerushalayim. That one day there will be, the elderly will be sitting in the Rehovot Yerushalayim while the young children are playing. Only now, since I've seen the fulfillment of one, I believe that the other will occur. And to this, the, the other rabbis say, Akiva nechamtanu, Akiva nechamtanu. Akiva, you comforted us. In a situation of such darkness, you were able to laugh. You were, you were able to look at the impossibility of this situation. You were able to see the deepest depths of darkness before you. And you were able to laugh. You were able to say, Hashem runs the world. And Hashem has promised us that these two polar opposite occurrences will occur. And to that we laugh. And we are overwhelmed with joy. And we say, we recognize that though the situation looks one way, Hashem has the ability and promises us that he will make it another way. And to that we laugh. And that was the comfort because the only comfort in a situation of such darkness is to be able to say, I know that the situation will change. I know that it will turn out differently from how it appears right now. Joey Rosenfeld continues with this drasha from Rav Morgenstern. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. Um, Joey Rosenfeld continues with this explanation from Rav Morgenstern. And he quotes a Gemara and Shabbos in which it says that at the end of days, Hashem will be looking for a reason to redeem Am Yisrael. He will want to save us already, but he needs a greater burden of proof that we are ready to be redeemed. So Hashem will awaken the Avos and he will say to each of the Avos, should I save them? Your children, you know, they have sinned. Should I save them? And Avraham will say that they've sinned. Yaakov will say they've sinned. 
But the Gemara quotes that Yitzchak will look at Hashem and say, my children, these are your, your children as well. Yitzchak will push back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And he will say to Hashem, let's work it out that we can save Am Yisrael. Let's make, you take half of them, I'll take the other half, and we'll figure it out. Let's redeem Am Yisrael. And just simply having Yitzchak have the confidence in Am Yisrael and pushing back when Hashem asked this question, allowed a situation that Hashem would redeem Am Yisrael. And it says that at that point, B'nai Yisrael will look at Yitzchak and will say, this is our father. What is the point of this story? Yitzchak is representative of Gvura. Each of the Avot had their Midah that they exemplified. Avraham was Chesed. Yitzchak is Gvura, judgment, harshness, severity. Givura, strength. And Yaakov is, um, sorry, Avram is chesed, Yitzchak is Givura, and Yaakov, totally slipping my mind at the moment. It's okay. Yitzchak, the point is that Yitzchak is Givura. And it is ironic in that situation then that Yitzchak ends up being the source of Gitula. Because Yitzchak is one who is seen as severe, that he is pure judgment. He is the one who is supposed to carry out exactly what is coming to Am Yisrael. But he is able to look back at Am Yisrael because, and this is what Rav Morgenstern's point is, it is specifically because Yitzchak is Gevura, he recognizes what a world looks like if everything operates exactly how we think it should operate, and because he recognizes that, he is specifically the one who is able to recognize when something needs to be out of the ordinary, when something needs to, needs to switch. He, he was imbued with that ability when he was named Yitzchak. That though he is the Midah of Gvura, he is this strict judgment, one must recognize that from his moment of, of conception, he was proof that the world does not always follow the way that it is meant to be. That strict judgment is not always what is carried out. That laughter is this expression of when we look at the world and we see something as different from how it is meant to be. Orchot Tzadikim is discussing the Midah of Simcha. And within the Midah of Simcha, it discusses this Midah of laughter. When is laughter appropriate? Because there are many sources in which we talk about laughter as lightheadedness, as frivolity, something that is should not be present in our lives, in that it can just bring about laughter and kalos rosh, something that's loosely interpreted as lightheadedness, that not taking seriously a situation. So Orchot Tzadikim is talking about when is laughter appropriate and when is it not appropriate. When is it appropriate to be happy and joyful and laugh? When Hashem returns to Yerushalayim, Shehi Simcha Gedola, because this is such a great simcha. Kedichtiv az yamali schoch pinu ushoninu rina az yamur vagayim higdil Hashem laasotim ela. The language of schok is used often when it comes to the geula. We have this pasuk from Tehillim az yamali schok pinu that at the end of days our mouths will be filled with laughter. The other language is vatischak liyom acharon that at the final day, at the end of days, we will laugh. 
Because when we arrive at the Geula is the ultimate time that we will recognize this aspect of laughter and how it plays out in our lives. That as Rav Hirsch has said, the course of Jewish history is absurd. And when we arrive at the Geula, we'll recognize that the way that life seemed to be going until this point, it all changed. And we were able to ultimately arrive at the Geula. And for that, at that point, we'll be so overwhelmed with this joy and this happiness that our mouths will be filled with this laughter. Rav Meir Soloveitchik explains that Jewish laughter is bound up with Jewish faith, and Abraham's child is named for laughter because his birth inverted expectations, vindicated Abraham's faith, and laid the foundations of a people who would confound those expectations again and again, thereby vindicating this faith throughout the generations, which is why for centuries, on the first day of the Day of Awe, Abraham's children have gathered in synagogues all around the world, Remember the birth of Yitzchak and beseech the Almighty God to grant them a year of life, love, and laughter. That we read this story of Yitzchak's birth and the promise of Yitzchak's birth on Rosh Hashanah because we are approaching the Yom Hadin and we are saying we know things seem to be one way. That maybe we have acted one way the entire year. But Jewish laughter is so integral to the beginning of the Jewish nation that we have only arrived here because of impossibilities, because of absurdities. And we are turning to Hashem and we say, we know we may deserve one way, but you have the power to change everything. And you do this so often in our history and our existence from the first moment, from that birth of Yitzchak, that you are able to take a situation that seems so dark and you are able to elevate it and switch it to a point where, it, where the final outcome is one of happiness and joy. So how do we apply this idea in our lives? Is it the idea of laughter therapy that we should just spend our time laughing and it will make us healthier, happier people? I happen to think that laughter therapy sounds really cool. And I know that there are many places that try it. But I think that there is a much deeper understanding as to how we can apply this laughter in our lives. I think the world that we live in today is one in which it's so easy to become so jaded, to look at the world and think that we have it all figured out, that we understand everything, we know exactly how things will turn out. We don't even need to put our hand outside to know what the weather is going to be that day. We just trust that if we look at our phone and we see what the weather will be, we, we know everything. So if it says it's going to rain at three o'clock, if I leave my house at 10 a.m., I don't need to bring a raincoat because we know everything. We understand exactly how the world runs and what is going to be. And I think that this message of laughter that we can take from Avram and Sarah is that sometimes when we see things changing in the world, there's this element of disbelief. We don't believe it all happened. We know the way the world works. That first instinct of Sarah to laugh, but to laugh at the impossibility. But then to take this message from Avram and Sarah, who very quickly realized that the true laughter here, the laughter in, that they gave over in the bracha to their child when they named him, was one of joy and happiness and being able to look at the world and not be afraid of things changing, but to recognize that that is the basis of our existence.
that all of these small impossibilities, these things that completely changed, whether it was something small that switched and that makes us give out a giggle, or the fact that an entire situation, like when it comes to the Purim story, has been completely, has been completely switched around, and to laugh, and to be able to accept the fact and recognize that our existence does not rely upon the strict course of logical nature. Rather, our existence is reliant upon us being able to embrace these impossibilities and these absurdities and to laugh, to allow that to bring us joy. So I think the message that we take from Avraham, Sarah, and Yitzchak is one of being able to laugh in life, to let go of that control and recognize that being in charge of our history and our destiny is not one, is not the total picture. We do not have that full control. We're recognizing that we need to be able to laugh, to recognize where Hashem has allowed in these subtle absurdities and to allow that to bring us joy. So please, may we all be able to see these sparks of happiness in our lives and to be able to laugh at these things that don't turn out the way we planned, but turn out for the best.